Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Nasso here. Uh, this is episode eight. And this episode, I had the opportunity and privilege to interview the great Courtney Shane Williams. Courtney is a fantastic comedian here in the Pacific Northwest, one of the best. He's a headliner and uh, he tours all over. He's famous for opening for Dave Chappelle and Hannibal Buress. Uh, in this episode, we talk about his experience with do-it-yourself albums, so if you want to create a comedy album, how he goes about doing that, and uh, just his life moving to New York and moving back to Seattle and his road to being one of the best stand-up comics. So without further ado, please enjoy. I'm talking to the great Courtney Shane Williams. He's an international touring comedian, He's been a part of the Bridgetown, Boston, Laughing Skull, and Comedy South Beach uh, Comedy Festival competition, and NBC's stand-up comedy showcase. And Courtney is open for Dave Chappelle, David Allen Greer, Daryl Lennox, and Hannibal Buress. And he's also appeared on CBS, Fox's Last TV, and NBC's The 206. Wow. It's like you're not even reading that. Yeah, it's like I I I, I remember all that. all that. Yeah, I just <laughs> that's from memory. I got that. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Dude, man. Thanks for having me, man. Ready to chop it up. This is gonna be the one. This, this is gonna be it. the one. This is this the... is gonna be the show where the people are gonna be like, oh my, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna change the game for my mellow podcast it is. It is. It's, i mean this is like grand open grand closing ain't that what jay-z said when he retired like this, this is the one this is the this career is... making podcast yeah, episode brando brand was it like brando playing with his godson and then the godfather too when they like choked on that orange and died <laughs> <laughs> all right i don't want to hijack your show no right, this is ahead. it this is your show man that's what it's nah. about all right so um you're so everyone I talk to in Seattle, like when I so I just recently moved to Seattle, as some of the people on this show listening to the show know. And um, everyone I've talked to pretty much when I ask, like, who's like you know, one of the top comedians in the scene or the top comedian, everyone mentions you, like, you are like renowned, That's dope, man, as That's dope. like the best comedian in That's like dope. the Northwest, I feel like. How? Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's shocking. I've never heard that before. Really? Wow. Yeah, like a lot wow. of people that I speak to, everyone's like, oh yeah, Courtney, Courtney, Courtney. He's the best. He's wow. one of the best. So, yeah. Let that sink in. <laughs> I thought wow, that's shocking, man. Yeah. Um, thanks to all those people, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, I've never, I've never really heard that before. Uh, but that's, uh, that's cool. I mean, you always want to be, you know, respected. I mean, everybody wants to be viewed as good at whatever you do, whether, you know, you do stand up or whether you work at the post office or you're a teacher or a firefighter or, you know, whether you work Uber, like everybody wants to be, you know, seen as good at what they do. So yeah, man, that's humbling. That's, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Congrats, man. I mean, you're killing it. And I, I guess I just want to know, like, you know, how, how do you, how do you feel like, what, what has your journey been like? How do you feel like, you know, you've gotten to that point where, you know, people are, you know, considering you like one of the best or the best. Um, that's such a huge question. So Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot to unpack. I mean, what has the journey been like? Uh, 
I think it's been it's been um I I don't know, it's been mine. I guess I don't know a different journey. You know, you see other people progress, you know, the way they progress and it's the decisions they make and how they pay off and like, you know, people I know that like, you know, they moved to LA or New York and they got like uh whatever late night whatnots or or they get on you know netflix and you're like wow man that person's like blowing up it's like oh i know that guy it's just interesting how like different journeys are different ways and the longer at least for me personally like the longer i did it the more like it, it just it just becomes more than just about the comedy it's just so weird you know i don't know but i mean i guess to answer the journey question i guess it's been uh the one i chose I don't know. I haven't really been forced into anything, which I guess is kind of cool in a way. Um, I haven't really been, you know, yeah, I haven't really been forced or felt like pushed or felt like, you know, maybe when I was a little bit younger, I felt like I could be doing this or I could be in New York, maybe. But after that, I don't, you know, feel like I've been forced into like having to like compromise something I believed in or compromise something that I wanted to do in my personal life. Uh, on the flip side, I do feel like the stand-up side has definitely taken a back seat, or comedy has taken a back seat to like things that I want, like in my life, you know. So I don't know if like, that really answers your journey. No, question. That, that's great. I don't know, it's pretty broad, so, so I really, yeah, I really don't know. Anything's great. It's it's open-ended. Um, so like moving to the Pacific Northwest, for example, yes. like wh why did you choose to do that as a stand-up comic? And also I know you moved because I saw your numbers, Florida number. <laughs> uh, you called? Yeah. I live in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just straight up, you know, um, I don't really, I live in Seattle, uh, worked in Northwest and this is the last place I ever wanted to be. And like almost daily is still the last place I want to be. Really? It's our relationship that like I had, I, there was, was never in the plan to move here. Um, just a quick view of the story. Like I actually moved to New York when I was like two and a half years in, I was, I was 22. I moved to New York and uh, basically spent all my money and, you know, had a buddy that was like, Hey, do you want to come to Seattle and feature? Okay. So I was like, you know, does it pay? And it was like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm there. I had zero. Uh, that's I've I've never borrowed any money at all. That was the only time I've ever borrowed money in my life. I borrowed like $150 from my mom to get a ticket. So I got in the plane, came out, and I made like $700 that weekend. That was the most money I'd ever seen doing stand-up, like $700. And I worked like Wednesday through Sunday. And while I was here, I was like, man, there's some people here. They're funny. They're not even famous. Like, I can do this. And uh, it just blew me away. And I started, like, because we were there for the whole week. So, like, you know, introducing the people. And uh, the comic I was working with was Daryl Lennox, who is not, like, my best friend now. But at the time, like, I didn't know anything. I didn't know that he started in Seattle. I didn't know that, like, you know, like, he went from, like, Vancouver, Canada. I didn't know anything. So, like, I'm meeting all these people that have been doing stand-up for a long time and that make a living doing stand-up. And I never knew you could make a living doing stand-up. So that was the tip of the iceberg when I made that $700. And at that point, when you come from zero to 700, I'm like, I can actually live there and not have to get a real job. And that was basically it. Wow. So it still was the last place I wanted to be. But like, I grew up in Florida. And um, so I was like, if I go back home, like, what am I going to do? 
like probably get a job and work the road and do it that way. Or I could go out to Seattle and immediately I knew like the audiences here were incredible. I think Seattle is the best comedy city in America, period. It's not even close. Like when people want to talk about whether it's New York or LA or Chicago, I'm telling you, man, Seattle's the best comedy city like in the country. And it's, it's not, it's not close. Um, it's, it's not, not even like the audiences are good. Like San Francisco audiences are great. And, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Milwaukee, actually, sneaky good comedy audiences there. Really? And, you know, even like, so it's not about that. The audiences in Seattle are good. But as a stand-up comic, you can make a living here. Like, everybody will gripe the clubs don't pay this, the clubs don't pay that. But I'm telling you, there's opportunity to make money. Now, you can't become famous. You can't, like, get on TV. I mean, I'm sure you know plenty. Well, I don't know how long you've been in Seattle, but... You probably know plenty of comics you met, and you'll be like, I've never heard of this guy. This guy's hilarious. And then, like, later on, yeah. his wife and kids walk in. It's like, hold on, he has a wife and kid? Like, how is he pulling this off? It's the only city like that, man. It's it. Like, that don't happen in San Francisco. Like, you, you, you're going to be like a, a bar back or something like that. It just doesn't happen. That don't happen in L.A. or New York. It just doesn't happen. Like, you're doing $25 sets. Like, you have a lot of opportunity here when it comes to – that and when it comes to you can start your own show and charge your own prices like in LA or New York right like people want to get in free like you can't really make money off that you know what I mean yeah, and like it's corporate events corporate events stuff like that there's big companies here Microsoft stuff like that. I know there's this one comic that used to uh, like write little commercial shorts for uh, Microsoft really like that's not something you can get in New York so like that's why I say it's the best city uh, it's the best comedy city. It's just the best city for a comic. The downside, at least for me, is is literally the furthest you can get away from my family geographically, which is which is the reason why, like, I, I never really liked it. But yeah, it's um, the opposite corner. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's dope, man. So when I came here and I, I seen the comics and I seen the quality, and uh, I was just impressed. Like the first time, from the first time I got on stage, I was just, I was just impressed, man. And I was like, man, I can get better, like really fast here. Uh, so that's really at that point in my life. Yeah, I mean, I was young, and I'm like, I didn't really have any. When you came? Uh, when I moved here, I guess I was. That was probably like a year later after I left New York. So it was probably like 20, 20 23 or twenty four. I think right. like twenty four when I moved here. I think I was just like visiting back and forth. So yeah. I was like, uh, I was like, let's do it. So and you that really, was it. the rest so, is history. Wow. So you really just value like, it's basically like having a work life balance, but as a comedian. Yeah, I mean, um, you said say it again. It's like it's like a work life balance. Like, you know, you you can be a stand up comic, you can make money, you can have a family, you can live yeah. like a decent life as a comedian. Yeah, I mean that that um that blew yeah that kind of blew me away. Like, I didn't know, I just didn't know that existed. And probably because I started in Florida, too. I mean, you know, Florida, there's clubs there, but it's, they don't pay very well. It's very spread out, and then there's really nothing else. Like, the club kind of controls it, you know. Um, Seattle's just different, man. It's an art-driven city. Like, people just come out. If you start a show, even if it's not good, people will probably come out, you know. Yeah. So... People just come out. It's just a different sensibility, man. And that's a great place to to grow. 
I mean, even when you look at like the musicians and stuff like that that came out of here, it's a very small, small city, you know, uh, compared to like, you know, Tampa, like where I grew up, like, or, or Cleveland, Ohio. Like, I think I was talking to my wife. I met my wife here. I think it's like, I think she told me like public schools. It's like three or four public schools in Seattle. Like when I grew up in Tampa, it's like 20 public schools. Like it's just, so the size wow. is just much like it's just much much different. But but man, the people come out. So like I don't know, man. Uh, so that was basically it. Just kind of like was like, yo, I can be creative and I can be great here, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, do you still feel like you have aspirations for like you know to be on TV or to do like late night? That's a very LA good. Uh, that's a good question, man. Um, uh, that's, I don't know. It's kind of a moving target. You know, sometimes it's like, mm, sometimes I feel like it's easy, easily attainable. Like if I just did like the stuff, but like there's certain stuff I won't do. I remember like when I lived in New York and this is when I, I realized like there's certain stuff I won't do. There was a couple things that happened. One thing that happened, I remember I read like a Jerry Seinfeld book or something like that. Mm -hmm. He said something about doing Seinfeld and how he did like seven seasons. I've never seen an episode of Seinfeld, by the way. Uh, you really? know, it's not my thing. But, but I read, so oh, I mean, I've seen like clips and bits and pieces. Yeah, Seinfeld's so um, funny. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've never, never watched it. So, um, but I remember there was a one thing he said. Uh, uh, they said that, like, why'd you stop doing the show? He goes because I, like I was finished. He's like, oh, but you could have kept doing it. He's like, yeah, it has to be a limit where you would stop. Yeah, I remember thinking that, man. It has to be a limit. I remember Chappelle said something very similar, dude. Like, it has to be a limit. And I remember when I lived in New York, I was it was freezing cold, and they like wanted you to like hand out flyers outside and then you know maybe you'll get some stage time and I, at that moment i was like not gonna be able to do it there's certain things that i'm just not gonna do so you know in comedy or entertainment if there's certain things you aren't gonna do you have to accept the fact there that there may be certain things you're not going to get so specifically what was that for you like what kind of things was that so it's like that i wouldn't do yeah prime example um i'm not moving to l.a or new york it's not happening. So if someone says, oh, you know, pilot season's coming up. I'm like, well, they're going to have pilot season without me. That's just the way. So, but if you know, if you know, you want to be on TV and you know, like the, the best way to do that is to move to LA and you know what I mean? And establish yourself. You can't expect to be on TV and you can't be mad if you're not on TV. The flip side is on me. I'm not really mad about it. So to answer your question, like, do I have ambitions to be on TV? It'd be nice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it'd be nice to have a Netflix special. It'd be nice to be on HBO. It'd be nice to do late night. It'd be nice to do all that. But, you know, I can't expect that stuff to, like, come to me if I'm not, I get, quote, unquote, willing to play the game. You yeah. know? So and If you don't play the game, I mean, you can't. It could still happen, though, right? I mean, it could happen, yeah. right? You know, you could, you could, you could. Um, I still, I do festivals and things like that, so you could be there, like at a festival. I mean, I could get, you know, knock on wood, hopefully, if they're listening, and I could get like dressed for last or something like that, and they'd be like, oh, and then somehow get get on that way. But you you increase, you know, what I mean, it's like lotto balls, right? You know what I mean? You increase your number of lotto tickets exactly if you're in LA or New York. And that's all just it like is, exposing is, yourself just a to big lottery. But it's, you know? yeah, it seems like um, 
you're like driving passion like because you you just you even said like it'd be nice to get on like tv or have a, a special or something like that but that's not like the like what it seems at least that's not what like gets you super pumped and excited like that's not your ultimate nah man I, I hope my mom don't listen to this. I might, I hope, you know, you know, I hope I don't curse. Mom, <laughs> my mom hear me curse. But um, my only goal when I started stand up, like I came from a sports background. So I remember uh, I played basketball and, uh, you know, I practiced a lot. I was good, but I was like high school, junior college good. Like I wouldn't like, you know, final four good. You know what I mean? I was like into the bench, you know, D1 good. You know what I mean? Which is which is good. Uh, so, but I remember, like, man, I used to work, work, work. You know what I mean? I was a good shooter. Like, but there will always be, like, certain guys, like, on, on the team or certain people you play in, and, like, they're just better. And you just know it. Like, they know it and you know it, right? They're just better. They're just a better basketball. They're a better athlete, whatever. And no matter how hard you work, they're just better, right? So they can just jump higher. They can just run faster. They're just better. And it's like, man, that stinks, man. And you work hard, you work hard, and they're just better. So <clears throat> when I graduated high school, I started going to college. I did comedy, and I got on stage. And first time on stage, and it went it went good. I was like, and then after that, like, everybody come up was like, oh, I've never seen you before. How long have you been doing comedy? I was like, that was my first time. Wow. And they were like, oh, my gosh. And so at that time, I thought you you should have different minutes every time. So before I went on stage, I had probably read out, written out like 15 minutes of material. So like the first three times I went on, it was completely different. And then at that time, everybody like at the club was like, yo, dude, like you're really good. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, huh? I was like, okay. And I kind of seen that. Then I started going to the club more. Then you start seeing people that are really bad. <laughs> and yeah, then I was yeah. like... <laughs> Oh, and then it hit me. I'm like, I'm that guy in basketball that may just be better. <laughs> I was like, I may be, you know what I mean? I was like, I may just have, you know, just a better ear for comedy or what, just the same way that one guy just jumps higher than everybody else, you know? And one guy just runs faster than everybody else, right? You meet comics and you're like, oh my gosh, they're, they're so relatable. You yeah. know, it's, you know what I mean? Or like you meet comics like, oh, their energy. Whether you see like Martin Lawrence or whatever, man, their energy is just great. So you're or you always see a comic, the naturally funny. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, I may be that guy. So at that instant, because my sports background, I've been watching that dude just be like better than me for so long. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the greatest stand up comedian ever. And that was only the goal. And that's still the goal now. The only goal was to be the greatest stand up comedian ever. It was never to have a TV show. It was never to be late night. It was never to be a movie star. It was just to be like, so purely... when I show up, I just want to be the coldest one in the room. That was it. It's the only goal. And it's still the only goal now. So do you need to be on TV to do that? I guess so. I mean, I guess you see where that thing, you know, intersects, right? So, um, yeah, to answer your, your, your question as far as like, you know, uh, you know, the the goal of it or or, or uh, you know not wanting to have a tv show or different ambitions i mean that's it that's really has been my only ambition since the very beginning that's super so, cool that's like the purest form of like wanting to do stand-up 
just like not yeah. really even caring about those other things that are just kind of flashy in a way. Yeah. I mean, I want the money. Don't get me wrong. Like I want to get paid. You know, I want the money. I mean, don't get me wrong. But the idea of being famous, uh, I don't. I don't need that. I, I don't. I mean, I, I'd like to. I guess famous to like to sell out like a theater. Famous enough for people to come to the show. You know what I mean? Like Doug Stanhope is famous, but Doug Stanhope ain't famous, right? Yeah. Like, like he's famous you know somehow. Joe Rogan is famous, but he's not you know famous. Exactly. But then like somebody like Chappelle or Chris Rock, like they're famous. Like in so every like sense. if I. Yeah, you know what I mean? Or like Pat Oswalt, right? I mean, my mom wouldn't know Pat Oswalt from anybody, but my mom knows who, you know, whoever is, Richard Pryor is, or Bill Cosby is. Like, that's different. And uh, if that happens, that's great. But um, it was, yeah, it was never, it was never like, it was never my goal. How do you find yourself, um, how do you find yourself measuring, like, your progress towards that? Like, what kind of achievements are you trying to, like, yeah, like personally, like what are your personal goals? Um, I guess my personal goal right now is just, uh, I mean, honestly, just to make more money. I mean, that's really that's really my personal goal. I mean, it sounds, well, I mean, maybe it doesn't sound crazy, but yeah, my personal goal is just yeah, you know, uh, well, monetarily to make to make more money, but uh, I would like to have a special, like I would like to, um. It's like just like Jay Z says, right? All them rings and things you sing about, bring them out. If you don't have the specials, you know what do you bring out when somebody's like, "Who is the greatest, right? Or who is great? Or who is really good?" Everybody's gonna be like, "Oh, remember, you know, Richard Pryor, 1976, or oh, remember when you know Louis C.K. did that chewed up special, or oh, these, the Chappelle did the one special, or Chris Rock did bring the pain." You know, if you don't have specials, like, what do you, what do you show? Of course, it's different right now because you can record your own thing, right? You and have you your just, own you know, album, keep right? It. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I got And that's really the reasons I did the album. I mean, I did the albums just for that simple fact that, like, hey, all the rings and things they sing about, bring them out. So if I got the albums, then, like, that means something uh, beyond just that thing, totally. you know? So, um yeah, I mean, yeah, so th- those are the goals. Yeah, I would definitely like to to have, like, those specials just to show, like, yo, dude, I, I, I was I was, I was good at this. I, like, I was really good. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, and monetary, monetary goals. And, you know, outside of that, I just want my family to be happy. I just want to, you know, you know, be able to do what I want to do and, you know, my wife to do what she want to do and, you know, just you know, provide for my family, man, and that's really about it. <laughs> that's that's <Yeah>. probably <laughs> that's probably the worst. I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, it's probably not everybody's answer, but I mean, that's true for me. Let's um, that's that's great. That's all awesome. Uh, let's talk about you know your albums that you made. So how how did you go about doing that, and like how many albums do you have out? Okay, so. Uh, well, a fi- well, not official, but albums like you can actually get, like studio quality, too. Uh, I had a couple before that. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I had two before that. But, like, this was, like, when I kind of, uh, well, I guess not even necessarily because I first started, but it was when, like, the technology wasn't as readily available. So, like, if you didn't have, like, a record deal with somebody, it was very hard to, like, 
to produce a record. Now you have everything, right? You can just walk into a Best Buy and just drain it. You know what I mean? And you can yeah. make an album that sounds exactly like Sony. Like, it may be even better, right? But at that time, it wasn't as available. So, like, the quality just isn't as good. The microphones I used just weren't as good. And I don't think there's any way to, like, go back and clean that up. So when people ask, I'm like, I got two. Those are the two that I was like, oh, yeah, I'll put those out there. And it, it's, it's quality because I was able to get uh, a good record. So, um, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, I got two albums. One I recorded in uh, 2011, and then I uh, recorded the, the last one in um, 2016. Um, yeah. Cool. How did you go about, like – like what was the whole process like for making an album and you can talk about whichever one you want or both okay uh the the first one man i can't even remember the first one. i think uh i think the the first one um you know what i do remember so the first one uh i was trying to get i was trying to get a deal with a record label and it, it didn't and when i say a record label not just one like all of them uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, was trying to, I was trying to get a deal with a record label to do the album, and uh, it just didn't uh, materialize. So also, I how up, are you uh, just trying to do that? Like, what you were just like hitting up record labels and like emailing no, no, no. or cold so, calling so, or you your agent or something? No, I don't have an agent. I don't have a manager. So this is this is a home operation. So I um no 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 no. There's there's like comedy record labels. You know, like Comedy Central does records. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I would I would just email comedy central i'm not just say that's just to comedy central or just to you know stand-up records or just to whatever uproar or whatever but uh yeah but when you don't have like the connection thing it's, it's tougher um and at that point in time like people weren't really doing it like that like i i mean i don't know that that's another thing like people weren't really doing it i feel like i was ahead on a couple things uh but people weren't really like like doing it. So like when I kind of didn't get it, or I kind of was like slow moving. But I had conversations. I had conversations. Yeah. I actually met with uh, one uh, one record label, and we had conversations. And they were like, oh, "Okay, yeah, let's wait till October." And I'm like, "No, nah, we're not gonna wait till October. It's not the way it's gonna work." So uh, at that point, I was like, "Okay, how can I get this done?" And then um, I was just I I think I was in a studio. In some dude's studio, and this dude was like, oh, this is my band. I was like, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, this guy's an engineer. I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, you know, like, I do, like, recording. And then I'm like, you do what? I'm like, yo, I got this project that I want to do. And that was it. And that was the first time I even heard, like, so I just hired my own engineer for the album. And that's, like, I I just kind of learned as it went along. And then when it got done, he was like, hey, I don't have time to mix it or master it, so... Uh, pay me half of what you're going to pay me and I'll give you the files. I was like, all right. Wow. And uh, he, he gave me the software and uh, dude, I learned how to mix and master just on the fly. Now, this is when I was living in New York the second time. And when I was living in New York, uh, you just don't, I just didn't work as much. You know what I mean? You basically go to the clubs at night, right? And yeah. you just wait in line and try to get a set. But during the day, I did nothing. So during the day, I basically became like an engineer. So I went to the library and I would just check out books and I read, I read so many books. So just how to engineer and how to mix and stuff like that. I read a whole bunch of books on just like software, just a whole bunch of books. Really? And I just learned it. I just learned it. And that was it. Because part of me too, just didn't want to pay money. You live in New York, you're trying to save every penny. So 
Um, so that's how I did my first album. So when the second album, and funny enough, after that was done, then like the label that I was trying to get at first was like, oh, we'll buy it. I was like, no, nah, it's too late now. I'm not good. After all the work wow. I did, I was like, there's no way. Wait, so no way I'm selling that. How, how much no, did no. like uh, it cost just for like the engineer and the software and stuff like that? The first one, I the first one I played it cheap. So just like the engineering recording part, yeah. uh, uh, I think I played it cheap on the first one. It was like three fifty. Really? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I play I played that one kind of cheap. Um, the recording's still good, uh, but it, it could have been a little bit better. It could have been a little bit better if I. If, you know, but you learn from experiences. That was my first time, so yeah, like, of course. I didn't know what to look for. What you know, kind of, course, of um, the more you do it, you know. What kind of like setup did you have like in the venue? So like, how did you physically? Okay. I mean, do you, yeah. So do you we know? had a yeah. So you know, you got the line coming off the mic, so you got that, and then we had like three condenser microphones. So you get one like I think there was like one back of the room, one like one stage left, one stage right and uh or maybe just three including the mic i can't remember but there was like you know kind of spread out a little uh -huh. bit to kind of pick up the audience you know uh reaction um and and that was it that was that was the whole setup I mean, and did you have like a splitter from the stage mic to some sort of recording box or something like that no because you know like uh you know the clubs because i did it at a club so the yeah. clubs you know they have their soundboard so you know just plug right into uh, the soundboard yeah you don't need to do that yeah you just do a soundboard yeah, so your audio ends up being pretty good. So, um, and that's just yeah, that's just super like just super basic. I mean, the actual recording of it is not is not. Uh, I mean, you know, certain things to look for, you know, but uh, it's not that that uh, that tough. Um, and that was it. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah, and then basically I mixed and mastered everything, and I just you know kind of went like really really bare minimum, you know, what I could do as far as the actual production of it. You know, because after that, you got to pay for the actual albums, right? So there's another cost. So, yeah. Um, oh, so, so these yeah, weren't was, downloads. This before different. the download age. Yeah, this is before downloads. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep, yep. This is, uh, yeah, 2011. So, like, I mean, iTunes was out, but it wasn't, it wasn't, there was no streaming. There's there was no streaming services. There was none of that. Um, so, wow. yeah, I was like, all, all the mixtape days. Tell yeah, mix yeah, tape. man. Yeah, they all make, yeah, man. Yeah, funny enough, when I did that, that was the one regret I had is that, uh, so when you get, to, I got the albums in, uh, like, uh, because, you know, recording in 2011, I think the albums came back in, like, January of 2012, and then I was like, okay, so I had all these albums to sell, and then, like, maybe two years after the project came out is when, like, streaming became a bigger deal, and iTunes was a bigger deal, and then I started selling less albums. So like I still have some, and I'm like, man, if I could do it over, I would have just bought far less inventory. Because now it's like, you know, I'm a warehouse. You wow. know, so yeah, what do you like... do? But, but um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's the, that's the only downside. But you learn. I mean, you learn. I didn't. I mean, I didn't know. My, you don't know what you don't know. My dad did one of those like, like Herbalife, where you just like buy a like huge wholesale amounts of like shampoo, yeah. and like just try and resell them and make a profit. And he just yeah. had this entire basement just full of these like shampoos that he couldn't get rid of. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of like, I'm just like imagining that. 
Like, no, I mean, it's not like that. I mean, it's not. It's not like that. Yeah, I, I know. I know the experience of like that kind of stuff. No, it's not <laughs> exactly like that. But it's almost the same idea. It's almost the same idea. Um, so I mean, it's a learning experience, though. It's you online just, now, though, right? It out. Huh? Those uh, that album's online now. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's our album online, which cuts into my warehouse sales. But yeah, the album is uh, yeah, it's online. Yeah, it's available online, which is which was pretty cool too. Like once that really came out and it got going, yeah, so it was like it's like available everywhere. That's epic. So how did you go about like distributing it and doing and like selling it? Like after you made it? Yeah, so at that time it was just all shows. You know what I mean? I mean, one reason why I did the album is like, um, you know, you when you start working more, not you, but just. Yeah, you uh, being everybody you when you start just working more you start working with comics that have merchandise and then you go to these places and it's like you see comics you know maybe you make an extra you know, maybe you just get your gas money but maybe you have a really good show and like the better your show is the more merchandise people buy right so like you know you see somebody make a few hundred dollars and you're like oh if I had CDs to sell after the show I could do that so that was my only that was like my only avenue to actually get the product out is to just, you know, do shows, sell the CDs after the show or do festivals and sell the CDs. That was basically it. Um, not the greatest strategy for selling stuff, to be honest with you. Really? But, you know, when you don't have a record deal, uh, yeah, distribution is, is an issue. I mean, it's an issue. It just is what it is. That's no way really around that. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, I, I I was at laughs uh, just a couple of weekends when I'm hanging out there, and I just notice a lot of headlining comics will, right after their show, they'll always sell their merchandise. So yeah, that's something I haven't seen in LA that much, but definitely more of <laughs> like when you're when comics are on the road, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's probably more of a road thing. Yeah, because you know, like LA or something, you know, um, you know, you live there, so it's like a little bit different. But yeah, on the road, yeah. You know, you try to get a little bit more money, yeah, comics to sell on the road. Yeah. Um, so how did you, what changed for the next album? Oh, dramatically changed. So, like, I invested a lot more money into it. Uh, the show was just better. I knew what I wanted it to sound like before I even uh, recorded. Uh, rather than, like, oh, okay, I got my 45, let me do the album and put it out there. I had an idea of what I actually wanted the theme of the album to be, what I wanted it to represent at that point in my career. Uh, you know, I had a title before I, I record. Like, I had a lot of things laid out. So when I did the recording, uh, uh, the way I recorded, uh, the microphones were set up, like, differently to get a better, better reaction than what I got from the last one. Uh, just laid out the shows. Just, just a lot a lot cleaner as far as like what I, what I wanted to sound like, um, and the quality I wanted, because at that point I already knew the work that would have to be put in on the back end. Uh, so the more you can get, like the more mics you can get, the better it's going to make the work more tedious, but I'm telling you overall, your sound is going to be a thousand times better. How many? A thousand times better. Wow. How, um, how many did you have? How many mics on the second one? Oh, and this one I had, uh, well, I had the one at the board. I had two. We have four. I think we have five on one show, but then one mic went out. 
which another reason why you have multiple mice. But yeah, we had uh, we have four. Okay. Four. Um, I'm just asking all these questions because I'm thinking like, you know, some people out there might want to, at some point, do a do-it-yourself album, and I think it's super valuable to understand like the your process and what went into that. Yeah, I mean, and one thing you do, like, I mean, I guess it's, if if somebody's listening, we're like, oh, how you do album? I'm telling you, look, look, one easy thing to do is that if you know, like, uh, somebody's recording an album at, like, some club, just go to the show and just look at them set up. Show up early. It's free. And you can look at them set up. And I guarantee you the engineer that's there, you'd be like, oh, you got mics. And they'll tell you, oh, I got a mic there and this and this and that. And like, oh, what's, you can just ask what type of microphone. Oh, it might be like, oh, it's a condensed microphone, or it would do this and pull out the board. Like, people are, like, easy about that kind of stuff because you're really no threat to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't necessarily care if you do your own album. So that's the easiest way, I think, to, like, just just go to where somebody's recording and just, like, be like, how do you do that? Oh, how much did that cost? Like like we're talking right now, right? So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. I mean, I, that's that. I'll be like, that's the one key. Like, the more mics you have, uh, you know, the better. A good engineer really helps. And uh, doing like, you know, a microphone check or doing a check before the so- show starts is uh, it's gonna help you a lot too. Like, you know, just those extra bit of preparedness will help you because once it's recorded, it's done. You can never get better audio. It's kind of like my first two projects, right? You can never get better audio. That's the biggest pain um, for anything. Yeah. Because I do yeah. sketches, and, like, the huge thing is the audio being, like, so crappy on the earlier sketches. And they have decent views, but, like, it doesn't even matter because, like, the exactly it just ruins the quality. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yep, yep. Exactly, man. Exactly. Sweet. Do you, um, do you still use just condenser mics on for all of them and that's like oh so so we switched up the game on the last one so like uh since i started like doing my podcast whatever i'm just much better with like microphone stuff so we did uh we did two zoom mics like two h uh i think i think i got a no i got an h5 i think we used the h4 we used the h5 um which is great because you can link those up I mean, this is kind of technical, but you can link those up together so they're, like, synchronized. So we used, like, an H4, H5, and then we used uh, the microphone coming off uh, uh, coming off the soundboard. And then we had just another just random, like, condenser mic in the audience. Oh, great. Uh, so, so, you know, we got back of the room. Yeah, we got back of the room, very, very, very back of the room. Uh, very back of the room on stage, which I didn't do in my first one. Uh, I just did the microphone coming off, you know, uh, the microphone I was holding, the hand mic. Yeah. But I did that, and I had a microphone directly, like, on stage on top of that. Because um, it's a different effect. What you're hearing is different, you know? So, like, to have them have that experience, listen to it, I felt like it'd be a little bit better. Another thing I didn't think to do on the first one that I changed on the second one, you know? And I was like, dude, definitely want to have that. Interesting. Uh, and then we had like just like one in the audience somewhere, so it kind of balanced it out. And uh, yeah, the Zoom mics are fantastic. I mean, they're they're expensive. Yeah, but I'm, I don't I'm using just a, use them for that. I'm doing for this phone interview. I'm I'm using a Zoom right now. Yeah, and I'm plugged into like a an like an NTG Rode mic, and 
Um, oh, okay. And I have a aux in. So I have a splitter from my phone. That's an aux. Uh, so yeah, yeah. It's like an aux splitter. So one is going into like headphones for me to talk into you. Or sorry, talk to you. And one's uh-huh. uh, going uh, into the Zoom to record. And then I'm recording with the NTG into the Zoom and not my headphones uh, okay so you're using you're using like a uh, so then you're using just a 3.5 jack to get the audio off the phone yeah it's like 3.5 like split from like male to female i think okay all right dope dope yeah dope. It's okay. like, or wait i don't even know i think it's just two female i don't know but um it's interesting i just saw a youtube thing to do it which is cool youtube helps a lot uh, yeah i mean yeah i mean youtube youtube definitely uh yeah youtube uh youtube definitely um yeah definitely helps definitely helps one thing i would say to improve your recording this is free advice what do you have an iphone doesn't matter yeah what you buy is buy buy a buy a xlr buy a xlr cable like the you'll do two sides yeah uh, do you have like an h5 or h4 h4n Oh, H4. So on the bottom, you have like two, you have inputs for like an XLR, like the big microphone inputs. Yeah, like, yeah. Right, like that's what I'm so using the use... NTG. Oh, that's where you're using it. Okay, then you got it. You got. It. I was about to say you get an XLR, just get you like a, a, a XLR uh, cables, and they sell a XLR to 3.5 oh, jack. I'm not doing that. So you can plug it directly from your phone directly into the bottom. The cool thing about that is you ain't got to use that splitter. Then you can just come come straight off the, uh, what you call it, just straight out in the bottom, and then you can just listen. You don't have to use that splitter. It's kind of dope. But anyways. Would you be yeah, able to yeah, I didn't know the, I didn't know, I didn't know, uh, somebody like gave me one or something. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, when am I ever going to use this? That's pretty cool. And I'm like, hey, I use this every time I record the podcast now. Every time. And it sounds fantastic. Uh, so yeah. No way. So wait, do you plug your, um, oh, so the XLR to like the, that little audio jack, you, do you plug a phone into your, or sorry, do you plug a mic into your phone or do you plug your phone into the H4N? Okay. So like if I'm recording and you're not in the room, so I have a lapel microphone that I use, uh, and that's just a regular microphone, right? That's just a regular lapel microphone, plug it in, record. And then um, they sell, so they sell XLR female cables and XLR male cables. Yeah. Like the female cable, those are the ones that you plug into like the bottom of a microphone. It's really wide. Yeah, exactly. But then they they sell some that look like, well, I guess it's not male cables. They sell some and it's like, it's the 1.5 millimeter. It's the thicker one. Oh, and if you like look the on jack, the bottom, the thick like mic jack ones. Yeah. If you look on the bottom, there's like a hole in the middle of that uh of that uh h4n and you can tell like you can put it in there and you put it directly in there and on the other side there'll be Uh. a 3.5 jack and you can and i use so i just plug in myself i got an iphone so i you know i put the adapter in and i just plug directly in so uh you know so when i talk because he's coming in to that to that h h5 and i have my headphones i can hear everything going in so I just put him on a phone and like, you know, he's not on speaker, but I'm talking to him, but he knows, he like, you know what I mean? He has no clue. Um, oh, that's so interesting. But yeah, that's what I do. Sweet. That's what I do. 
I see Anyways, that. that's yeah, not well, the podcast, but <laughs> I know all, we, we just did like huge like sound engineering tangent, but I think that's yeah. super interesting stuff for people that are trying to do on a remote podcast or just anything from a remote podcast to setting up your own production for an album, which is super cool. Um, yeah. So for your second album, uh, what else did you change in terms? Because you said it was just much more successful. Um, uh, I invested a lot more money. I invested a lot more money into it. So like the engineer, uh, the engineer, uh, I paid. Um, shoot, I can't remember. I want to say it was somewhere between like four fifty and five fifty. I can't remember. Maybe it was five hundred. I don't know. And I also I paid somebody to master it as well. So uh, I did the mix and the whole thing, and then after that, um, I uh, mastered it the best I could. And actually, shout out, I used uh, Rick Taylor, who's good, and I sent it to him. Oh, he was nice. Like, he was like, oh, man, this sounds fantastic, man. He was like, oh, I'll have this back to you in like a day. What does mastering uh, entail? So it's good. So basically, what you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to um, um, – make it sound good so you like bring up and bring down like certain levels of of like the recording so it just sounds like just clear so like mastering like comedy is much different than musicians because musicians there's a lot more instruments you know right yeah. so when the you know when like the guitar is like over the vocals it's like hold on we got to bring down the guitar and like you know change it up like that and so when you mix something like that then it's still kind of funky at the end so mastering just makes it sound like super crisp. So if you hear the first recording before it's mastered, you'd be like, oh, this is good. And like, only way I can describe it is when you hear it mastered, it's like, oh, this sounds warmer. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if warm had a sound, sound warm. Like, you know, you know what I mean? You know, like, you, you know, where you're in New York, LA, you know, you go buy some dude's mixtape. The difference between a mixtape and like the black album is vastly different. And you're yeah. like, oh, you know, this sounds like somebody recorded it in prison. What is this? <laughs> so like it just sounds like warmer, you know? And on the first album I didn't master it. I just did it myself and that was it. So that was one thing that I would definitely change. Um it still sounds good, but it it doesn't sound like an album that's like been mastered. So uh yeah, I've actually paid somebody to master it on top of that. Um, after I mixed it, and when I mixed it, because I had more microphones, so when I, because I have more microphones, I had more options uh, as to how I wanted it to sound. So for me to mix my first album, I probably invested about uh, man, I can't even remember that far back, but I would say um, I probably I only had like two shows to choose from too, so I probably invested maybe three, four hours. And for me to mix my last album, I probably invested about six months. It was just completely different. Wow. Um, it was just like, it was much more of a painstaking process. I listened a lot closer at things I missed on the first one. So even like small parts were like, oh, somebody's, you know, speaking up, whatever. And I just, I flipped it in between the levels. So I would bring down like, let's say the back mic or the stage mic, you know, people taking orders, stuff like that. Cause it's still like a club, you know, people are still doing stuff. Um, and just, just catching like small stuff, uh, and then like patching it in and, um, things like that. So I just invested a, a lot, lot more time. And, uh, yeah, on the back end, 
uh, it came out much better. But yeah, a lot of late, like super late nights, just like just going at it and attacking it. What just tools lot, are you using? What kind of software? Oh, so I use Adobe Audition. The reason I use Adobe Audition is because that's the one I became familiar with first. Um, and as a matter of fact, I tried to like switch over to like Pro Tools, um, and I just wasn't picking it up fast enough. Um, and you know, I was reading a lot of books on it and I just, I don't know, I just felt like I wasn't picking it up. So I was like in the future, you know, I'll, you know, try to get that one. Cause I feel like that's probably a more powerful piece of equipment. Um, but I use Adobe audition for everything. I use Adobe audition for my podcast. I use Adobe audition, you know, for any kind of audio I need. So I was just familiar with the software and, um, and you know, a lot of engineers use it too. The engineer that introduced me. Uh, uh, to it, he used it. So when he used it, and he gave it to me. He gave. That's how I learned it. So, you know, once you learn it, it's like, you know, you just know where stuff is. Oh yeah, it's just so intuitive. It yeah. becomes so intuitive. Yeah, trying to be do something new, and it's like, man, how do I find this and that? Uh, so that was big. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The other thing I did is the artwork was like a thousand times better. And uh, I paid money for that, too. The artwork on my first project, like, I paid probably, I don't know, maybe, like, 70 bucks, I think it was. And the the artist, like, halfway finished it. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll just take it from here. And I just cleaned it up. But it looks great. But it's actually not what it was supposed to be. But on this one, like, yeah, I just I just paid. So the artwork was uh, a lot. And uh, I laid it. Uh, I used, uh, I used uh, Illustrator on all of the artwork. So I had to learn like Adobe Illustrator, uh, which is like another powerful piece of Whoa, equipment. So you that made I it. wasn't familiar with. You made the yeah, artwork. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I didn't do the artwork. Isaac Novak, free plug for Isaac Novak. He uh, uh, he does like a lot of art stuff, uh, like projects that I need done. And I'll be like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I'll send him a bunch of sketches, and he's good at like just bringing it, bringing it to life. So that's what we did. Uh, I knew I wanted to do like uh, I had photo. I, I hired a photographer. It's another thing I didn't do for the first project. That cost money as well. Uh, and um, so I did photography in the inside of it, but on the outside, I did this artwork idea that I had. Uh, and then he kind of brought it to life. And then uh, yeah, I just learned how to use Illustrator, like really like get it in there. Because when you get the artwork, it's just there, right? Now yeah. you gotta put it on the project. You could pay somebody to do that, or you can learn how to do it, you know, and uh, that that's the kind of stuff that like it'll come in handy, like in the future, you know, you never know. Maybe there's another comic that's like, hey, how do you do that? Or, hey, you know, I want to do a website or not even a comic. Maybe you're at a, I don't know, you get a job at, I don't know, Amazon or something. You know, you never know when like that kind of stuff comes in handy. Yeah, or those you, skills are huge. Yeah, you want to create a poster for your show or you want to do you know, some cool thing on your website. And it's, it's, if you know how to do it, it's like, oh, I can do it myself. I don't have to pay anybody. So, uh, so those, those things are all things I didn't do on the first project that I did on the second one that I think made it like a thousand times better. Wow. That's epic. That's great. Um, so I, I do want to talk about your podcast, but I also want to talk okay. about comedy stuff. So I'm, I'm so confused. Okay. Uh, if want... I need if, if I need to be short, just tell me to be short. Oh, you're good. We can get it quick. Oh uh, no, right. we, we're we're good on time. No worries. So I haven't been able to drop any dynamite yet. Yeah, so <laughs> I <laughs> I'm super curious. 
you mentioned like living in New York what, like twice and moving to Seattle. Oh, yeah. And I just want to know, like, could walk me through your stand up career to where you are now? Like maybe with some cool milestones like the, along the way. The professional side or like just, 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 um, um, I, whatever you think is just like relevant to your experience, <laughs> whatever you want to talk uh, about. Uh, okay. So I started in Florida and, uh, when I started in Florida, uh, th- this is probably the biggest thing for me in Florida. I can actually tell this story now. It, it, the thing is scheduled. So the biggest thing that happened for my career in Florida is meeting who is now my best friend, Daryl Lennox. Daryl Lennox is the person that bought me to Seattle for the first time. Daryl Lennox is a uh, person that, uh, helped me out to get in the Yuck Yucks comedy club, which is comedy club chain in Canada. And, uh, Daryl just helped me become a, good stand-up comic quicker than I think normal. So when I started stand-up, I uh, went to this, went to the club, did my set, and then after that, this comic was like, oh, man, you're pretty funny with a blah, 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 So I uh, did another set, and uh, one time he's like, hey, I want you to meet this guy. And I seen this dude go on stage at open mic, and I'm like, man, this guy's good. I was like, man, he's good. And the open mic in Florida, it was structured because Florida is not really a comedy place. It was structured where it was a normal show with open mic. So instead of doing a feature, they would do open micers and then they would do a headliner. And then all the rest of the open micers would go up at the end of the show. I didn't know this. And open mic started at 930. So I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what's coming now. I got to the club. I I was like, okay, I didn't know you had to sign up. (laughs) So then I was like, hold on. They were like, oh, did you sign up? I was like, no, I signed up. And I look, I'm like, oh, I'm like number 20. Okay, cool. It's like five minutes. So I'm watching the show. And then all of a sudden this guy does 45. And I'm like, oh, he's (laughs) funny. Why is he on stage so long? The first time I went on stage, I went on stage like 1230 in the morning. So, uh, but Daryl Lennox was the guy doing 45 minutes. So the next week I go to the club, he's there again. He does another 45 minutes, slightly different than the last time. I'm like, wow. I go a third time. He's there again. I'm like, this is, I'm like, this guy, <laughs> what the, I'm like, what the hell is he doing here? And uh, so then fast forward in the story, this guy's like, I want to introduce you to somebody. He's like, oh, this is my buddy Daryl. And uh, he was like, oh, I've seen you a couple times. And I'm like, oh, he was like, oh, you got some stuff. So, like, I kind of hung out. I'm, I was kind of socially awkward. I'm um, not really a super extroverted guy. So we would sit at the bar, and uh, this dude could just pound shots of tequila. I mean, impressive stuff. Impressive. <laughs> and then do a full show. I'm like, man. Wow. And I remember uh, we were sitting at the bar in the back of the club, you know, and uh, – we're sitting there, and I remember uh, it was probably I was doing comedy for like a month, and then uh, he was like, you know, he was like, all the comedy you're doing, you just you just gotta stop it, man. Just do it, he goes, because you're doing stuff that like it's been done before. Just do your own thing, you know. And I mean, he was like, the first lesson he taught me was when you get on stage, the first thing you do is establish your identity. And he's like, all the great ones do it, and I'm like, the hell is this guy talking about? What he didn't know about me is that I've been studying stand-up since I was like 12. And maybe not 12, maybe like 13. Me and my brother. 
Just really? watching like a lot of comedy. Yeah. You just so studying before it. I did stand up, yeah, we just watched comedy and like we would just critique it and be like, oh, he should have opened the show with that. Oh, he should have led with that. Or like we watched like that's when Comic View was very popular, like when I was younger. And we we're like, oh man, that's probably his five minutes. But I bet if he did that in the middle of a big show, it'd go over much better. Like we just watched the comedy like that. That's so so when I got home, when I got home, I'm like, let me see if this dude's right. So I just start putting in specials, put in everything, put in Seinfeld, Bob Newhart. I just start putting in all these specials back to back to back. And every single comic did it. And I'm like, wow, this guy's a genius. And I changed that on stage. And immediately my sets got better. Immediately. I was like, man. Uh, so then the next next lesson he taught me was like, he goes, hey, uh, it's like two weeks later. He's still at the club, by the way. I'm like, why is he here? 45. <laughs> two weeks later, he's like, hey, man, uh, when you deliver your punchline, you should hit the back wall. That's what he would call it. Hit the back wall. And he's like, every stand-up comic, watch him, dude. They all do it. They all, like, have an indicator. You know, if whether it's Chris Rock, and he'll pace, and then he'll stop, and he'll punch, and then he'll pace, and he'll stop. He can watch. So then I go back, and I watch. Every comic did it. And then I started, like, doing it. Boom. Sets got better. So now I'm, like, a month and a half in, and I got these two things that are, like, making me better, and people are like, wow, you're getting better and better on every time I'm saying So I'm like, oh, thanks. So then after that, uh, the third lesson he was like, when you do your comedy, he's like, you know, you're not a super expressive guy. He goes, be genuine, though. You know what I mean? He goes, you should do your comedy to three people you respect. He goes, three people that will know if you ever were not being truthful, they could tell them, you know, you're, you're, you're bullshitting them, basically. He was like, my three people are like, you know, like Richard Pryor and whatever, whatever, whatever. So my three people, oddly enough, was my brother, uh, Bill Cosby. <laughs> this is my brother, Bill Cosby, and I think I forgot who the third guy was. I think it was like Spike Lee or something. It's like the three <laughs> people that like I really respect. Yeah. And I did that and boom I got better. And at that point I'm like, I'm in. Anything this dude says I'll do. And that was it. And that dude basically kinda took me under his wing and I just got better like fast. So that was like the first two years of my career. How just old doing were you that. at this point? Um I was 19 when I started. Uh, so by the time I moved to New York, the first time I was 22. Uh, it was January in, 0, in 07, January in 2007. And um, and that's when I got to New York and then kind of went from there. And in New York, basically, I moved with like $5,000 and spent all my money. And uh, I was just kind of broke. And I just I hated New York. Just hated it. Hated it, man. I just felt like, man, this was a waste of time. Blah, blah, blah. And that's when he was like, come out to Seattle. And then when I get out to Seattle, uh, he kind of had a following out here. And I'm like, oh, this guy is somebody. I was like, I knew it. And I go to the show, and this is the old underground. It's packed. Packed. And at the end of the show, everybody's like, hey, it's good to see you. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> wow. Who is this guy? And then we went to Vancouver, Canada, and it's packed. I'm like, packed. Everybody knew who he was in Vancouver. Everybody. I would meet comics in Canada. They'd be like, oh, Daryl, oh, he's great. I'm like, who the hell is it? But then back in Florida, it's like this guy's nobody. It's a weird thing. So come to find out, uh, he used to live in Vancouver, Canada. I didn't know this at the time. He lived in Vancouver, Canada, and he was living there. 
And uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't wait, know what wait, I can say. Wasn't he doing like 45 minutes in Florida? I was just confused about that part. Yes. Yeah, yeah but... he was doing like 45 on open mics. What? I thought he was so, like so... featuring or, or headline or something. No. Yeah, well, well, there was an open mic, but it was structured as a normal show. So they would do 45. He would do 45. So and like anyone could come and mic. do 45? No, no, no. Just him. Just him or the headliner. So open mic was on Wednesday, and the headliner would work Wednesday through Saturday. Uh -huh. And they just wouldn't do a feature on Wednesday. Yeah. And they would do open micers in the feature spot. And then the headliner would go up and then they just throw up the rest of the open micers. That's the the structure of the show. Oh, um, okay. So he understand. was he was the headliner for like four weeks in a row at the club. And I'm like, so yeah, come to find out, like he was lived in Canada. He was living there. Um, he got basically got thrown out of Canada because of like paperwork stuff. And when he got thrown out of Canada, I didn't know this at the time. They didn't let him go back, so they took his. They, I can say this. They took his condo. They took everything. Wow. Just took it, and like for a while he couldn't go back. And so, fast forward, he gets to Florida because the club owner and him are really cool. And at the time, like he was living at the club owner's house, so he didn't really have anything else. So the club owner was like, "Yo, you can work at the club." I didn't know this. So I just so happened to meet this dude that's really good at stand-up when I started stand-up that basically taught me, like, a lot of the things that you shouldn't do. So I never had any bad habits from, like, day one. And that was probably – that by far is the biggest thing in my career. That's so huge. You know, it was at the very beginning. It was at the very beginning. And it just so happened. I mean, if he never gets thrown out of Canada, then it, never, it just never happens, right? And I'm just probably doing it, like, normal. So – that was that, and I ended up moving, uh, moving, moving to Seattle after that. So when I came to Seattle, I was already a feature. When I came to Seattle, uh, I came with him the first time. Then when I came with him the next, time, I was already a feature. And then I was like closing out, like on you know bad nights or whatever. And then closing out, you know one nighters stuff like that, headlining one nighters. By the time I moved out there, here, then I moved to New York. Uh, that was five years ago. That was the second time I lived in New York. Oh, and, so uh, you, was... you moved there five years ago, and you just moved back then? Or you just moved back yeah. five years ago? Yeah, and then I moved back to Seattle because uh, that was right before I got married. So the first time I moved, I was 22. The second time I moved, I guess that would be 27 or 28. And, uh, uh, and now you're before 33. I got married, yeah, now I'm 33. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm going to try one more time because I don't want to be like, I'm going to get married and then – Man, I should have tried. I'm like, I'm going to try one more time. So I saved, we saved up a bunch of money, and it was worse than the first time. I was like, this place is awful. And now I hate, I just hate New York. I hate it. I feel like, you know, New York owes me money, man. Damn. They owe me a lot of money, man. And I hate it. Uh, I hated the experience. I think it's completely overrated. I think the city's overrated. I think, uh, like, the clubs, I just think they're lazy. You know, I, I just, I haven't, I don't, I don't, I just don't think it's comedy. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's the way comedy should be run. I don't like anything about New York. And obviously I'm probably emotional about it. So it's not all rational. And I'll admit that, but I'm telling you, I hate it. Like um, one of my worst experience, well, not worst, but one of the experiences I hate it is like, I tried to get onto this club and uh, this friend of mine, he actually passed away. His name is Todd Lynn. But uh, he did, like, two comedy presents. He has an HBO special, like, a bunch of stuff. And uh, he got really sick right before he passed away. 
but he would take me to the club with him. He's like, hey, man, I'm going to try to get you in these clubs. There's this club in Times Square. I don't think it exists anymore because every club in Times Square, it becomes like a different club like every three months. And I remember I go to this club and he's like, hey, man, uh, we'll put you on sending your avails. And you'd have to sign the book of your avails and they'd match it up and get you in the schedule. So next week I go down. He's like, hey, put in your avails. So I put in my avails. I'm like, okay, this is the routine, right? I got to do this for like a month or two, right? I mean, that's just the deal in New York, right? I do that for like two months and nothing. I get zero to the point I would go to the club with a book and I just read a book for like two hours and leave. Wow. So um, I go down and I'll never forget this dude is like, hey, man, where's Tony? I don't know. Some comic. Who's where's Tony? He's like, oh, Tony got sick. He can't make it. And the dude's like, hey, put him up. And the dude that hosts the club, he was like, nah, I'll just host both shows. What? And that, at that point, I was like, the thing I hate most about New York is that they treat the comics that are coming up like garbage. So when those comics get a little bit of power, they do the same thing that was done to them. And it just can just keeps the cycle going. I just hate it, man. That, that's just not necessary. And then back in my mind, I'm like, not necessarily that I'm better than you. But back in my mind, I'm like, you never even see me do comedy. You don't even know. On top of that, you're not even that good. Like, I'm going to let you dictate to me what's good. And that's what this city represents. I mean, for what? So I can be on TV? I don't want to be on TV that bad. And yeah, I mean, I met a bunch of people, you know, like, oh, they, they get Comedy Central and oh, they get, I mean, that's great. But like, I just, I don't want it that bad. I just don't want it that bad. You and, and like yeah, sell if, yourself if, out for that. Yeah, I mean, if I'd have stuck it out, quote unquote, probably would have, you know, probably would have. I mean, I was at the same new talent night. It's just, I forgot this guy's name. Actually, now I remember the name, but I'm not going to say his name. But uh, I was at the same new talent night at Caroline's at 22. Same comic at Caroline's. And uh, that dude ended up working. He worked for ESPN. He worked for, like, Bleacher Report. Basically did a lot of the sports stuff that, like, I wanted to do with comedy. And he headlines clubs. And I'm like, we were at the same night. We were at the same exact place at the same exact time. Like, if I would have stayed, I could have legitimately probably had that too. You know, I ended up, uh, when I started comedy, uh, Al Jackson, who's, um, he's like the warm-up comic for Comedy Central Presents for a long time. He does just a lot of stuff, just yeah. a lot of stuff. We were in the same place at the same time. So it's like it's there, but he did certain things that I didn't do. So that's just the way it is. So by the time I got back to Seattle the second time, um, after I left New York five, well, I was like four years ago, I stayed there for a whole year and I came back and I'm like, that's it. I'm back on my mission. I'm just going to be the greatest comic ever. And when I come back to Seattle, uh, my, my goal is to just dominate whatever space I'm in. I'm going to dominate at whatever level I'm at. I'm just going to dominate it. So, but I'm going to have my own show. I'm going to produce my own show. My own show is going to be the best show in, in wherever it's at. It's going to be the best show. And I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to record my own albums. I'm going to do my own albums my own way. I was like, I'm going to start my own record label. I'm like, I'm just going to do my own thing. And I'm just going to dominate the level that, like, I'm at. And that was just the way, like, I just went about it. That's and that was that, cool. you know? And now we're here. That's so cool. Did, did you... um? It seems like you felt the pressure that I hear a lot about of like when you move to like LA or New York of like just 
the feeling of having to start over and not being like treated like you're a comic that's done <laughs> yeah man i mean that that's that's the game i will say though i mean you want to get to a club that will get you in i tell everybody people ask me like should i move to new york and i say yes I say yes every time. I was like, definitely. Because you don't know how it's going to work. Because that's my experience. That don't mean it's your experience. Your experience may be great. Or it may be the same. But I tell everybody, oh, absolutely, go. Uh, the club that I actually started working at was Stand Up New York. And uh, I got uh, – Stand Up New York is like the same scenario. I showed up for about a month or two straight. And then uh, they were like, hey, you want to do the check spot? This is the worst spot on the show, right? I do it, and it goes good. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Now I'm in the rotation. But by the time I got to Stand Up New York, I'd already been at that other club for like five or six months. And like I told you, I was only in New York for a year. Yeah. So by the time I got five, six months in, I had blown through all the money I had saved. And uh, now, like, I was going in debt. Damn. So I'm like, okay, I'm in this club. It's good. It's fun. I'm not making any money yet, right? Because you got to get up, you know. So I was like, if I had started here at the beginning, maybe it'd be different. But then I was like, okay. So then I start just looking at trajectory and what's going to happen. I was like, you know what? I don't know. And then uh, Daryl once again came through. He got me a, a showcase for uh, Yuck Yuck's Comedy Club. And so I went to Toronto, Canada, and I did the showcase. And uh, that was a really cool experience. That was one of the cooler experiences because, like, the owner came in. Yeah. And, like, at that time, at that time, the owner of the club was Mark Breslin. And uh, he never came. And this dude had, like, a roped-off section, like, of, the of like, no one sat at his table. I'm like, what is this? What is, who's this guy? <laughs> wow. And uh, he came in and, like, all the comments, oh, hey, Mark's here. Because that's a big deal, right? Everybody wants to move up. But he came to see me. And so I did the show, and then we went upstairs, and we talked for like an hour. And um, he was like, hey, man, I'm going to start working you, man. And that was it. And so when I start working for Yuck Yucks, and I'm like, why am I still in New York? I'm working in Canada. I was like, I can just move back to Seattle and work Yucks out of Vancouver. And I'd make more money, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And that, that was kind of like the nail in the coffin. So even though I like – yeah, Stamford New York was cool and all. I wasn't making no money. And then I'm like, and I'm making most of the money now at Yucks. Like, if I go to Seattle, I can make money in Seattle, West Coast. And I can just, if I want to work Canada, I can start in Vancouver and then go out from there, Victoria, wherever, you know? So that was really, that was really kind of the turning point that I was like, yeah, it's probably time for me to go back. Like, so I don't, I don't really need this. So you're still doing Yuck Yucks now? Yeah, so like the the weird thing about working in Canada, at least for me, because I'm not at the level where like you make a a lot of money, right? You're at that level where you kind of like build it. So yeah, a headline, but it ain't. I'm not getting what every headliner gets, right? I know I'm not. I know I'm getting less, right? But when the exchange, the last time I went, I think the exchange like got close to sixty forty, and I'm like, this is not gonna work for me. So I'm just kind of waiting for the exchange to kind of build back up a little bit before I start going back a lot more. Wait, the exchange? So yes, I like still do. The literal exchange rate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the dollar, the dollar to the Canadian dollar. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, when I came back, man, uh, I went to the bank and I said, what? I think it was, uh, man, don't quote me. I feel like it was like 65%. And I was like, no way. I was like, no way. And she was like, well, excuse me. She was like, well, you can keep the money and see, like, if it goes up. I'm like, what? What wow. am I now? Like, 
Conwell Banker? Like, it was just whatever, <laughs> man. Uh, so, yeah, that was like, I was like, man, I need to get a Canadian bank account, man, so I can just keep it in my Canadian bank account and uh, wait for it to go up and then exchange it. But, but yeah, so the, after that, that was like, uh, that was like the last time I did a big run of shows there. That was probably, uh, coming up on probably two years ago, getting okay. close to two years. And uh, I was like, uh, maybe a little bit more. And I was like, because it was definitely cold. So, yeah, maybe it was like a, maybe it was like October a couple of years ago. And uh, I was like, yeah, I just wait for it to go back up a little bit. And um, that was really the last time I really, really worked there. And uh, then, you know, then things started happening, like, for me, like, in Seattle. Whether I started a show and then started doing a little more showcases and then kind of doing, you know, things got busy. And then, you know, me and my, you know, you get married. That's when life starts happening. And then just priorities kind of changed a little bit. So, kind of where i'm at now how many shows are you doing right now like a week oh i'm a bad person to ask sometimes i I do one show a week sometimes i do no shows um sometimes um because i mean for me well i don't know if you know but uh me and my wife had a child well my wife had a child you know so that changed that changed everything it changed everything so like before she had a child i'd go to the club man four or five nights a week and not, maybe not, maybe three, at least three nights a week. Because you might be like, oh, you know, maybe you go to open mic one night, and maybe you don't. Maybe you go to Wednesday night, or maybe, oh, Friday, I'll try to catch a set. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And you just go. But once we had a child, now, like, you can't just go. Like, your time is, your time is constricted. You know what I mean? So, like, if I'm at the club, she's watching, you know, and vice versa. You know what yeah, I mean? It's... So, like... It becomes different. You can't bring a baby to the comedy club, right? So uh, then it became, I only started going out nights. I was getting paid. And I would just try to capitalize on those nights. And then it's like, okay, then I would carve out maybe, okay, if I worked like last week, prime example, so I worked on the weekend. So this weekend, like if I can try to get out, I'll try. But if I just got back in town, like, I'll just stay in town because I know my wife's been at home the whole time with no break. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm pretty active. I'm pretty active in that. So, uh, so that changed everything, you know, as far as how much I go out. So I definitely, I rarely go out and hang out now. If I'm out like hanging out, not getting paid, just whatever, either, you know, I haven't worked, you know, in a, last week or something like that, or there's some situation. So, uh, I'd say probably on average, probably a couple nights a week on average, you know, but uh, not every weekend. Yeah, that's totally fair. So yeah. even in your bio, and I've heard a lot of, you know, just everyone talks about it, but you opened or still open occasionally when people, when uh, Hannibal Buress and Dave Chappelle are in town. That's what I've Yeah. So how, yeah. how did that happen? Stories are true. Uh, uh, well, the Hannibal story is an easy one. Um, we're like comedy friends. Uh, you know, I'm not quick to call somebody my friend because like, if they're my friend, that's somebody that can be like, Hey, can I borrow like a thousand dollars? Like if I, if I asked them for like a thousand dollars, they'd probably be like, Oh no. But, uh, but like comedy friends, you know, acquaintances, like just real cool, man. I hung out a lot. So, uh, uh, when he was like when he was like coming up like i guess before like he got on snl uh he was just coming out of chicago uh we had contact through through daryl once again 
kind of had contact. He was like, hey, this is dude Hannibal. Like, he's pretty funny out of Chicago. I'm like, oh, cool. So we talked a little bit through email. It's like, oh, I'll meet up. It just never really happened. And then uh, when I lived in New York the last time, he had the, the room, uh, the knitting factory in Brooklyn. Okay. And I was just, you know, struggling to get up in general, you know what I mean? And, like, I just would come through, and he put me up. Put me, I'm like, oh, this is great. So that was, like, one of the shows that I would do, like, almost – at least once a month. At least once a month. You know this what I mean? This is the first so like time you were in New York. No, this is the second time. This oh, is the this last recent. Time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is like, yeah, like five, six years ago when he was still like doing the show. And that was like, that was great. So then, yeah, we had like a relationship. But we had, you know, we kind of had a relationship before this. Like, I was like, oh, come to, you know, I hung out a bunch of nights, whatever. So like, that was that. So like, when he was like, uh, you know, whatever in town or whatever, he was like, oh, man, it's, you know, you want to come through or whatever. I was like, cool. Uh, so he's like, hey, man, uh, do you want to open the show? That was it. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> nice. man, I'll be straight. And that was, that was it. That was, that was, that's how, that's the big booking story. That was, that was it. And um, so that's circular kind of relationship. I mean, the Chappelle one, that one's a lot different because I don't know him. Uh, so that's like, like straight through like Live Nation. And um, I don't know how they found me. Uh, actually, I do. I do, but uh, some they reach out. They well, they reach out to somebody that reached out to me, and that's how we got linked uh, for the first time. Uh, and what I didn't know is they had tried other people opening for Chappelle, like when he was in the Northwest, and it didn't work as well. So uh, he kind of has pockets. I mean, I mean, there's certain people that definitely you know open for him a lot more, but he has pockets. So I know, like for instance, when he's like in in, in the Southeast. I remember that this comic Rob Hayes will open for him, like in Jacksonville and stuff like that. So I think he has like pockets and you know regions, and those are the people that like do it in those regions. Interesting. Um, and um, so yeah, and what, what really happened is that when I got it from Live Nation, I mean I've been doing stand up long enough to know like, while I, yeah I'm opening for Chappelle, like I'm actually kind of working for them. So you got to be aware of like this is who I'm working for. So you make sure you maintain the relationship with them and be professional, be on time, be early. Yeah. Make sure you ask them, Hey, is it okay to do this? Do you, how do you want me to do it? And make sure you're paying attention to them when you're doing that. And that's when you kind of foster that professionalism more than anything. And then you do your damn job. Be funny and be good. Like that's a big deal doing your job. So when I did it the first time, um, they had two shows that night and, uh, I was like, oh, okay, can, you know, so, uh, uh, do you want me to do the second show? He's like, why don't you just do the first show? We already have somebody for the second show. And in my mind, I'm like, that's a lie. I knew it was a lie. It's like, how do you have somebody for the second show? They're not here now. So I did the show. And then after I did the show, it went well. So he was like, Hey, do you want to do the second show? I'm oh, like, of okay. course you were lying on the first time. So I did the first show. And then I'm like, uh, he was like, Hey, do you want to come back tomorrow? And then I did the mark. They was like, hey, do you want to come back the next day? And that that's just how it went. And then after that, boom, it just became a thing. So uh, I have the relationship with Live Nation and not necessarily a relationship with him, which is which is good because Live Nation doesn't just do Chappelle, right? Do a lot of comics. That's very um, cool. So yeah, what does so Live that, that's, Nation... That's how it went. What does Live Nation set up around Seattle and the Pacific Northwest? Um, so like Live Nation is a promotional like company. So like, um, 
sometimes, I mean, I think like Jay Z uses. No, no, Jay Z is a rock nation, but um, like I think Kevin Hart might use like somebody else uses Live Nation, but like it's just a promotional company, so it's not necessarily just stand up. It's kind of like Ticketmaster, right? You know what I mean? Ticketmaster does a lot of stuff, right? It's not, you know, they do Kenny Chesney, but they might do, you know, Kevin James, you know? Yeah. And it's just it's just a, a promotional company. Uh, and, and, um, and like, lately, especially in Seattle now, like, where comics used to do the club a lot more, like, if you get one of those promo companies or whatever, uh, you can, you'll do, like, the Paramount or Neptune or whatever, and they kind of handle, like, the details. Like, you know, Neptune and Paramount are like, they're not for profit, you know? So, like, basically, they kind of rent out the theater. They basically do all that work. But for somebody as big as Chappelle, like, he could fill anything. Yeah. It wouldn't matter what it was, right? So, like, they're like, oh, yeah, cool. We'll buy the venue and we'll charge the prices and we'll just fill the room, right? And, like, you know, the Paramount is like, oh, fine. You know, the dates are booked, you know? And that's pretty much like, what they do they're they're, they're just they're, they're a promotion company and someone just reached out to you or recommended you and reached yeah. out yeah interesting yeah that's the way it works yeah that's exactly the way that works how uh, did they know you it was just like a comic that somehow like yeah man um i mean that's when like relationships come in good man i, I tell everybody like that's one thing i did bad when i first started stand-up is like when i moved to new york the first time i was like man I was working for the Comedy Zone, which is a big chain on the East Coast. And I was like, I just like, once I moved, I'm like, I'm just going to live in New York. I'm going to make it. I don't necessarily need to keep contact. Not like I'm too good for you, but just, I just wasn't good at that. I wasn't good at the relationship part. Only thing I was laser line focused on just stand up. And that was probably, it's just not a good way to do this business because you need those relationships you really really do so when you when i was so focused on stand-up i was just i was really bad at life if that makes sense just unbalanced yeah no real personal life a lot of friends like that that are just like i want to be the best and they sacrifice every other aspect of their life yeah yeah every other aspect of my life is just suffering i mean living in new york you know small things man i was like you know i don't need you know cable whatever dude get some cable man it'll keep you <laughs> it'll keep you sane you know small things you're like well i don't want to spend money on this and i'm hey dude look look man you you need those life elements you know um so when i moved to new york yeah you know i didn't really have any uh any any contacts and so when i came when i left after i lost all my money the first time I was like, oh, let me see if I can work at those clubs. And I just lost contact. And because I just started, you know, the person that just started moves in. Now, if I was a headliner, it'd be different, right? Because you could just pop back in. But when you're like the person that was doing like some of the hosting and some of the opening, whatever, and just working your way up, they can find somebody exactly like you. And uh, so whenever I left, I was like, you know, I'm going to be better at relationships. So when I came out here, yeah, it was just strictly through relationships. So people see you, they see you perform, they see you good. They see that, you know, uh, you're professional, you're on time. If they tell you to do something, you'll do it. You know, as far as like, hey, uh, make sure you don't wear like jeans with holes in them and you'll just do it, you know, because that's a job. So that was how I got it, man. Just being professional and having good relationships. And somebody's like, hey, who should we recommend? 
And that's when people start going down the list of, huh, who would be good for this? And then and some of it is not necessarily even how funny you are. Some of it is like, oh, that dude's kind of a clean guy. Oh, he can do a clean show. Oh, he would be good in this comic. And that's kind of how it went, man. They just went down the list and was like, okay, this this dude would probably, probably do a good job. And that was it. That's super valuable. What? Yeah, I mean, dude, I'm telling you, this is a relationship business, man. Sorry about man. Like, this is really relationships. I mean, there there are definitely people. I mean, yeah, if you're Eddie Murphy and you're 18 on SNL and you're killing it, that's 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 great, and that can happen. You know, if you're Chappelle, like that can happen. But those are exceptions, like to the rules. They really are. I mean, those those are geniuses, and you may be a genius, but for the people that aren't geniuses or aren't exceptions or don't get you know, the fortune or the luck or however you want to put it, your relationships take you a long way. There are a lot of people in L.A., New York, Seattle, Chicago that ain't funny that work. Yeah, There's a reason why. Some of it has nothing to do with funny. I, th- I think I was talking to uh, Andrew Slater, another name drop, very funny comic. He lives in L.A. now. But one time we were talking, and I remember uh, he came back from L.A. and we were talking. I'm like, the longer you do it, I was like, the more you realize Funny has nothing to do with how successful you are. He was like, uh, Andrew's like, he's like, funny. He goes, dude, funny is like 5%. It's like, he's wow. like, dude, I was like, I don't know. I think it's more like 20. He's like, dude, 5%, 5% of your success is funny. He goes, nah, dude. He goes, it's, it's, you know, who you know is one way they say it. But I'm telling you, man, relationships it's it's really a big deal being professional just being a nice dude sometimes goes a long way saying hey thank you it goes a long way man it's really not brain surgery so when people are thinking about who they would like to book or who they would like to work or whatever you know following up small things when i when i would do comedy clubs and they do the show and after the show it's like oh thanks you get your money you bounce right yeah. Man, like the next week on like Tuesday, Wednesday, put a little reminder in your calendar. It's, 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 you don't even have to do any work, okay? It's a small thing. You don't have to do any work. Everybody has a phone. You put a reminder in your phone when your comedy week starts and put a reminder like three days after the show, send an email to the club. Hey, thanks for booking me, man. It was I had a great time. Blah, blah, blah. Super, super easy, man. They'll remember that. Another thing I learned, I learned this, I actually learned this working with like Chappelle. Tip everybody that helped you. Like that weekend. If you work the weekend, especially if you do good in merch, I just give everybody twenty dollars. Like if I do like well in merch, like the person that worked the room, I'll just tip them. I'll just learn that. It's a small thing, man. Yeah, twenty dollars is a lot of money, whatever, but those waitresses, they'll remember that, dude. So when maybe they don't have the input, but Maybe they'll be like, oh, man, we really like that guy. (laughs) It might not have anything to do with your comedy, man. I'm telling you. Like, if you have things where, like, I remember one guy was telling me, like, uh, you know, people buy, like, a lot of booze, like, during his show. He goes, so, like, some people have shows that, like, encourage booze. Like, if your show encourages booze, you'll get a lot more work. That has nothing to do with funny, man. Zero. But... You're respecting the club and people can make money, whatever you do. And those are, those are like small things, you know? So when, yeah, when things come up, like, well, maybe it won't be like Chappelle. I mean, I can't say that's going to happen for you, not you, but for whoever's, I'm not going <laughs> to say that's going to happen for, for you, Yeah. but you know, 
when they are thinking about filling some weekends and like, hey, we need whatever, we want to start somebody at headliner, right? Like that's what everybody that works the club wants to be, right? Headliner, you know? Yeah. Let's start somebody at headliner. Oh, who's you? Oh, well, you know what? All the waitresses like that dude, and man, people buy drinks when it comes to. We'll try him. Yeah. That ain't got nothing to do with being funny. I'm telling you, man, a lot of these clubs, man, and I mean clubs, and when I say clubs, I mean all of them, are fucking lazy, man. Very lazy. This, this, now, now I'm getting angry. A lot of these clubs <laughs> is lazy, man. Just lazy in general. Um, so if you can make it easy for them, make it easy for them, man. Try to help them make that decision. Like, a lot of these clubs is like, it ain't about funny, man. Like, it's just, I mean, come on. It's not about funny. You can, you can go to a club on any night and see a comic, and they might not be the greatest comic. It does not really ab- about that, man. A lot of, they don't, you know, oh, they were on Netflix. Whether they was on Netflix or not, the same amount of people are going to show up. Dude. It just is, man. Come on. Unless you, yeah, if you get Hannibal or whatever, or not even Hannibal, or you get somebody really popular, really, yeah, okay, granted. That's, that, that's like... They're coming to see that guy, right? Ian Bag, somebody like that. But for those other 30, 35 weeks of the year, come on, man. Come on. The difference between them and the next comic is zero. There is no difference. Maybe they have an agent or a manager. That could be different. But 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 the actual funny That's interesting. As my man Andrew Slater said, five percent. That's really it's interesting. Five percent. It's five percent, man. Uh, I was reading this book a while ago, The Black Swan, and it the, it's not the ballet thing. It's the idea. Not the movie. No, no, it's like the idea of like this totally unexpected event with like a low probability that no one takes into account, like in predictions oh. and stuff like that. It's that concept. Okay. But um, one part of the book was talking about people that are super successful and just like the rare chance that someone becomes like a superstar, right? Just like a crazy superstar. If if you compare the like popularity and how much income they make versus the raw skill and talent, it's Mm -hmm. almost like it's a huge exponential disparity in like how many people come to see them, how much money they make, but you could get a really incredible like local artist that just doesn't have the same amount of like, like credit or credibility. But like, if you really just look at them and compare them side by side, they wouldn't be that necessarily different in like yeah. actual yeah. skill and ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. Yeah. 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 That's, um, I guess that could be the sad part, I guess, you know, um, yeah, man, there's a, dude, there's a lot of funny people. I remember, like, I used to think, oh, man, I'm funny or I'm good. And the more you go to festivals and, and you go to, like, whatever, they'll do, like, little seminars. And sometimes if I go to festivals, I'll go to a seminar, like, especially when I'm out of, I don't have anything else to do. Yeah. And, like, the more you look at, you talk, listen to club owners and listen to people, dude, it's, it's a lot, of, like, a lot of people are funny, man. Like, you can find anybody funny. You know what I mean? It's a lot of people are funny. So, like, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. It's kind of, I guess, maybe sad in a way that like, yeah, you get in this thing because it's like, oh, I'm going to be funny or I'm going to be great. And then you realize like the longer you're in, like that's not exactly what the game is. You know what I mean? And you kind of got to play the game 
depending on what results you want, right? You know, so it came a point for me that I was like, "Mm," you know, life stuff started happening, you know, that had nothing to do with comedy. And then, you know, I started thinking about my family more. I was like, you know what? I would like to have a family and I would like to live here and I would like to do that. And if comedy don't work with that, I'm fine with that too. But you got to be, you got to be ready to be fine with that. So it's not for everybody. Yeah, man, I agree. So before we um, finish up, I was just wondering, uh, what would be some like closing imparting advice you'd want to give for like just young up and coming comedians? And it could be really anything. Whatever you find oh, most wow. valuable. Um, yeah, I mean, the relationship thing, I guess. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess something no one's going to tell you. Well, the relationship thing is probably one thing. Uh, if people tell you get up every night, I mean, everybody's going to tell you that. Uh, all right, well, some this off the beaten path. Know your value. Just know your value. That's what I would say. I mean, it's probably not the best advice for someone starting. Because sometimes if you're just starting and you're like, hey, prime example, right? You go to open mic and you're like, you know, you get 15 people to see you. And then you go and you get 20 people. It's like if the open mic was $5, right? Um, You just gave the club, what is that? Like $250, right? That's You just gave that away. Like that's actually what happened right there. Is that $250? Wait, if 20 people, that's like 100 bucks. Oh, no, 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 $150. If you get 20 and then 15. Oh, oh, 35. Uh, what is that? Just quick math. 180. 150, okay. Pl- yeah. Okay, yeah. You just <laughs> gave it. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. But yeah, you just, you, just, you just gave that away, right? You just gave that away. Yeah, you paid uh, $180 to, the, yeah, to get a five-minute slot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what happened. You know, so just know your value. It's probably not good when you open mic because, yeah, you know, you, you, but you should know that is the transaction that's happening. It's not a transaction of, hey, we want funny people at the open mic. Like, oh, so you don't mean like know your value, like know how funny you are. It's like know how oh, much no, no, money no, no, no. you can make this club and understand yeah. it from the business. No, just know your value. Know your value of what's coming to the club. I bring 20, I bring whatever. That's 180 bucks. Then you get better as soon you don't bring people, right? But maybe you work weekends. <clears throat> you know, you host or whatever. When you go up there and host, whether you're getting paid or not getting paid, no, you're providing a service. The club or the venue, they're not doing you a favor, okay? Like, that's what I would tell people. Probably not the best advice when you're starting, like I said, but just know, you're not doing them a favor. So when you decide you want whatever let's say you say oh you know you want me to host pay me a thousand dollars whatever it is if that's i mean that's crazy but i'm just saying if that just say just know like that's okay if that's what you feel that's okay like you need to know your your value like you are bringing something the club is not doing you a favor and i feel like sometimes people will like and that's my biggest problem with new york I feel like everybody there is so, not everybody, I take that back, but they want you to be so gung-ho about, I'm going to work at That's cellar. so interesting. That's very true. I'm going to work at stand-up. Oh, they flip man. it. They turn it on you where you're working for them. You're making them money. You're literally providing this free service that's making them thousands of dollars. Free. And they treat you like 
you know, you're you're nobody. Garbage. But because a lot of people will do it for free. It's like my man, my man Heath Ledger said in The Joker, when you're good at doing something, you never do it for free, man. Never do it for free. So that's what I would say. Just know your value. Now, that doesn't mean that you're open mic and you go and say, hey, I brought, pay me $180 because I brought, no, that's not the way it works. No, you don't do that. It's a trade-off. You're trying to get better at stand-up, and the better at stand-up is you bring people, you get on. That's the trade-off. But just know that you are bringing value into the club. You know what I mean? You are. So that that goes back to that relationship part. Now you have a relationship with the club. You bring people in, they give you time, and that's the trade-off you're making with that relationship. But just know that is the transaction that's happening. You're not doing them a favor. They're, you know what I mean? You're not... You know, you're getting on stage is not because, oh, you know, hey, we gave you time. Like, I've heard club owners say that before. Uh, to me, I've had a – who said that to me? Somebody said, like, oh, we're doing you – no, know, no, 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 you don't do me any favors. You, you've never done me a favor. Zero. You don't do me favors. That's not the way it works. You run a business, right? How many businesses do you know do people favors? There ain't no favors out here, man. This is a, this is a transaction. So because I'm not bringing, giving you $100 or whatever, but when you have audiences come in there and I perform, whether it's for free or $100, they have a good experience, they'll come to another show. I am promoting your club for another show that these people will see, and I may not even be here. So, you know what I mean? Just know that that's actually what happened in my the clubs or venues, they're not doing you an actual favor, right? It's a, it's a, it's a trade-off. Yeah. That'd be my piece of it. That's huge. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. Is there anything? Oh, I, didn't, I didn't bring the heat that I thought I was going to bring. You got very introspective and uh, threw me off. So. Yeah, what did you want to bring? Did you have so, anything no, else no, no, man. About? I thought I was, was going to call people out. I was going to drop dimes, but uh, didn't happen. <laughs> next time. Next time I'll be more fired up. You won't catch me off guard. I know. I mean, yeah, it's interesting because it's like a comedy podcast, but it's more like about the comedy than yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it's good. It's good. No, I had a good time, man. Thanks for, uh, yeah, definitely thanks for having me on the show, man. It was, it, was, it was fun to chop it up a little bit. That's awesome. So is there anything you want to plug? Uh, what's going on with you? Anything, oh, anything uh, you want to share? so yeah, I, I produce a monthly show in Seattle every month, uh, first Saturday of the month. Uh, the next show is April the 7th. And uh, it's at Naked City Brewery. It's a, it's a pretty dope show. Uh, I've been producing it for about three, four years. So uh, it's fun. It's fun, fun, fun. So uh, if you're in Seattle, if you're not in Seattle, whatnot, come through, man, April 7th at Naked City Brewery. And that's uh, in Greenwood, Washington. So, so uh, we got Alicia uh, Yeoman this week. We got, uh, uh, who else I got? Oh, Bo man, Johnson, who else? Jesse. Bo Johnson. That's right, Jesse, Jesse Warren. Warren. That's right, Bo Johnson, Jesse Warren. They're on the show, um, and it's uh, it's gonna be fun, man. So uh, whether you're doing some or not doing some, dude, just uh, come check it out. Come check it out. There's somebody else on the show. Yeah, too, there I totally forget, is someone else. I'm, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting who it is. Wait. Uh, but um, it's all good, man. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, this is bad for the podcast. Is it Brett Hamill? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, Brett it's, Hamill. Brett, it's for sure Brett Hamill. 
Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, come out. It's it's the first Sunday every month. Uh, it's Saturday every month. Uh, it's it's fun, um, and it's been selling like really well. So, uh, if you're uh, if you're in Seattle, come there. And then doing a benefit show uh, with Brad Upton, really good comedian in Seattle. Very good Seattle comedian. Very good comedian in general. But he's doing a, a benefit show at the Comedy Underground, and that's August or not August, but April the eighth. So if you're uh, in town, April 7th, Naked City Brewery, April 8th um, at the Comedy Underground. And check out my podcast. I do it every week in um, pop culture sports. If you're interested in pop culture and sports, um, it may be the one for you. It may be the one for you. What's the name of where can we find it? Oh, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, uh, my website, CourtneyShaneWilliams.com. You can find it there. The name of the show is uh, Courtney's Last Show Podcast. It's nice. the name of the show, and it's uh, every week, sometimes twice a week, and uh, it, it can be sports heavy. I will say it can be sports heavy, but sometimes it's pop culture, like super pop culture heavy. But kind of respond to like kind of what's going on, and um, it's a good show. It, it is. I mean, it's a good show. I've been doing it for a while, so it's a pretty good show. Sweet man. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate this. All right, man. Thanks for having me, dude. I appreciate it. Epic. Thanks, Courtney. All right, peace. See ya. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week. And uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin Nasso on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, Bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys.